This is What's the Deal, Grossiel, the podcast that explores the people, places, history, and events that make Grossiel unique. I'm your host, Ben Fogt. I think of Grossiel's history like a mine, with topics being like veins of ore. One major vein of the history and mystery of Grossiel is the airport. Many people know us from the sky because of the giant triangle at our south shore. And we've already talked about Gibraltar Bay's past, and just a little bit ago we learned about the ZMC-2, a metal zeppelin that was only made right here. And there's so much more to explore there. But today, we're going to jump up a bit and look at the airport more generally. When I started looking for someone to talk with about the Grossiel Airport, I ran across a photo of a trench that had been dug just north of Grow Road by Pirate's Cove Storage Facility, where you used to be able to park for Island Fest. John Rathel described the steam tunnels that once ran to the Navy barracks and that Pirate's Cove was preparing to expand their storage facility. Part of that expansion is happening right now. I reached out to John then, and then a few weeks later, he heard the podcast and called me back. That conversation opened up some rabbit trails and also provided a lot of answers. And now we finally get to talk about the airport, Naval Air Station Grossiel, and some of the projects that John's been part of. Well, thank you for starting this conversation, John, and welcome to What's the Deal, Grossiel. Uh, thank you. I appreciate having me. You've been involved with the facility that's the Grossiel Airport for a really long time. So what what's drawn you right. to it? Well, a couple things. I, I've, I've always heard about the uh, the Naval Air Station because my dad was stationed here back in 1950. However, that wasn't a real big draw for me to get involved with things here. And what ultimately did it was about 1995, the airport decided that they wanted to research, research some expansion of uh, one of the runways that would require filling in some of Gibraltar Bay. Okay. And as a uh, conservationist, a group of us got together and we needed to address that to figure out exactly what the plans were and what was realistic to be able to have happen, right? And start talking about filling in wetlands. So from that, I started to get more involved looking at what I assumed was going to be a good representation of the Naval Air Station here, you know, that they would have something that that showed the importance of, of this facility as a Naval Air Station. And I found nothing. So I started to talk to my dad and, and as, as an older adult, now taking more interest in that part of his life as, as being in the Navy. And I, I just felt a deep desire that I needed to now kind of move forward with educating people and bringing more touch points here at the at the airport of uh, either a museum or some kind of even a sign you know something that would show people that this was a naval air station you know from there you start thinking about how how it really impacted the war effort mainly world war ii and then that's a rabbit hole right you just go down right. there and now it's you know you go in all different directions so but that that's how I ended up getting started, really from an environmentalist standpoint. Okay. But then ultimately, uh, the history just sort of drew in. Right. So for this episode, I want to just do an overview of the airport, sort of uh, starting with its history as an airport, some of the things that make it different from other municipal airports. And then eventually we'll talk about some of the programs and some of the people who came through here as part of that, which is starting to sound more and more like it's just a, a who's who of both aviation right, and, right. and right. you know, 
uh, even even uh, what uh, game shows. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so let's start with 1927 when the naval the naval air station began. Okay. Yeah. So that was after World War One and several years before World War Two starts. So what what did they have as a as a purpose for that? What what did they have in mind? So I, I think we have to go back to 1925. Okay. And even though it wasn't an official Navy base in 1925, we did have some Navy personnel here. They ended up getting a, a seaplane base and floated down a tin hangar from Detroit, and they used that for their hangar. The, the, the seaplane base is still here, and it was expanded by the uh, Naval Air Station. But that's when it really started. And the reason that they were here was because Grozeal in the early 20s was already kind of known for its aviation. We had some companies that started some aviation activity here, and some, some plans were thought up of how we can develop this as as an entertainment center for the adventurers. So when the Navy needed to have a Detroit presence, I think there was one up by Selfridge now and then in Ann Arbor, but there wasn't really anything here. And because of the amount of land and because of the the aviation that, that already existed, it kind of became a really good spot for the Navy to say, okay, Let's uh, let's make this happen. So in 1927, the uh, Naval Air Station Grozeal was officially open. Okay. If I think about the Great Lakes and the Navy, I think about like in Chicago. We we especially recently they've been pulling up the airplanes that that didn't make their landings onto the converted uh, aircraft carriers. Mm-hmm. They do that sort of stuff here. Or was it was it mostly the seaplanes or? Going back even to World War One, the Army Navy basically they they felt that aviation aircraft was going to be a, a very important tool in our our defense sure. and and landing airplanes off of ships was intriguing and and certainly from a military standpoint a great advantage. So that was already in the minds of our, of our military, the Navy, and then when they looked at Grozeal. And the, the water and the proximity where we were to Detroit and bordering Canada, it seemed like they would benefit greatly in a lot of fronts from the standpoint of having seaplanes, but also land-based planes as well, which you don't, you're not landing seaplanes on aircraft carriers, right? They're, they're right. land planes that wheeled. So uh, they basically came up with the program of of training pilots. And as time went on, the need for that became greater and greater. So they, uh, they trained pilots to yes, land on land, but to land on aircraft carriers. Uh, yeah. That was, that was kind of what they wanted to, uh, they wanted to do. And, and that's, that's the direction that they ended up going and trained a lot of pilots that, you know, certainly fought in the South Pacific and landed on aircraft carriers. So it, it sort of sounds like this was sort of like a top gun school. You know, it, it was, and I never thought of that, but you know, yeah. you think about, you think about that, there was a need for training pilots and, and certainly during the war. Uh, and that's when the British came over and they were just training pilots, right? There was just, and then ultimately it became kind of a, uh, not a primary flight training facility, but come and then you did a crash course 
pardon the pun. <laughs> <laughs> and either you flunked out right away or they accepted you to, to further your, your training in aviation. And then you would go down to Pepsi-Cola, Florida. But okay. um, yeah, it was, it was a primary flight training facility, just like Top Gun, which I never thought about, but I, <laughs> I, I like that, to teach pilots how to fly these, these aircraft that, uh, that we okay. know today as the ones that landed on, on aircraft carriers. Sure. So, so that starts 1925, 1927, I think it officially becomes an air station in 1927. Right. Yeah. And then how long did it run? How long did it operate? Uh, it, they de- decommissioned the base in 1969 and they ceased operations here and everything went up to Selfridge. Okay. It was pretty clear to the Navy, you know, even in the early 60s, that this facility was was outdated. You know, there was a lot of room here at one time, but with the uh, technology of jet propulsion aircraft, and it just wasn't going to work. And we have neighbors all around, right? I mean, even back during the Navy day, there was, you know, neighborhoods and so it just didn't make any sense for the Navy to uh, maintain its operations here to, to do what they wanted to do. And eventually in 1969, they closed the base, and decommissioned the base. Okay. And, and so at its peak, how many people were stationed here? You know, Ben, I, I, I can't answer that question. Uh, was it, was it know, hundreds or thousands or? Oh, you know, there was thousands of people that came through here. Yeah. You know, one thing that's pretty interesting that people don't realize is every branch of the military, except, let's see, there were the Navy, there were Marines, Coast Guard, Army, all those branches of the military, you know, were stationed here. Oh, wow. So, you know, we had a wide range of people that came here for different reasons, uh, we had the waves, which were the women Navy personnel that were here in their own barracks. And, and I know we, we at least had British folks here. We probably had other countries training here as well. Yeah, the British came uh, early when it was uh, the primary flight training uh, facility. And uh, we had Canadian you know, pilots or, or Canadian uh, military personnel that would come through here too. And then eventually that stopped and all those people were... Uh, reassigned when the, when the base became more of a uh, test them out kind of a facility, you know. To, sure. And then touched on a little bit earlier, but there were a, at least a couple famous people that, that flew here through, through the Navy and the ones I, I can think of what George Bush, the president and, and then also uh, Bob Barker, right? Yes. Yes. You know, we, we think about, we, we like to drop those names, right? And then yeah. Donald Rumsfeld, who just passed away here uh, a couple months ago. You know, certainly President Bush and what he went through and even his, to read about his naval career and when he got shot down, I mean, just, just the amount of lives that he saved, you know, that that is a, an incredible story in itself. Sure. And to think that he was trained here and he finished out his commission here as well. But the one thing that kind of, Somewhat romantic, more mystic for me is all the people that we don't know about that made incredible advancements to our society. Sure. You know, that became leaders, you know, in corporations and, you know, all different humanitarian efforts, you know, around the world. And, you know, we'll never know what they did. But I like to think that NASGI was a facility that, that was so successful in teaching our men and women that went on to lead our, our world 
and became such an important part of their lives. Um, and, and we hear it now with people that, you know, grandkids, great grandkids come in and they, uh, they have something and, you know, they tell a story of their, of their father here or their mother or their grandfather or their great grandfather. And it's just, it's just incredible to me, the, the people that served here, but those are the big names that, you know, right. Yeah. Yeah. Those are these the ones that are easy to figure out what they did. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. You know, um, certainly, uh, you know, political figures like Donald Rumsfeld or, or President Bush, you know, people could have different opinions of what they think of them based upon their career. Right. Um, Bob Barker, everybody loves. So he was. <laughs> I just Except Happy Bob Gilmore, Barker. apparently. Except, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, so of the, of and he the, had Bob uh, learned to fight here too. We had boxing there. So that's, that's right. Well, we did have a golf course for him. So no yeah, alligators. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> the, uh, so, so uh, let's see how much of, of the Naval Air Station exists still. What, what parts of the airport are, were part of that? Right. So there's mo- most of all the barracks are, are gone. You know, that's uh, where our development is, uh, our new development of, of uh, some storage facilities going in and some other new development that we just did here in the last couple so of years. So that's around the, the soccer fields? Right. Okay. Uh, all, all of that is gone. The, you know, the roads and the sidewalks are still there and it's kind of fun to walk along and see the sidewalk go up to where a front porch was. Sure. There are still some very important uh, buildings, very historic, important buildings here that are fascinating. I don't know where to start because I love them all, but you know <laughs> where I'm sitting right now at the Township Hall, what we refer to as uh, Hangar One in the administrative wing, mm-hmm. that was built in uh, I think 1942. You know because of the expansion of the uh, of the Naval Air Station during the war. Sure. Still here, the Township refurbished both wings of the of the facility and uh, the township hall itself is kind of a good representation of what it was like back when it was built and during the the base days i know that to be true when we first opened this there is a very ugly kind of a rust black floor tile floor with about i think 12 or 18 inch tiles and we fought over uh, whether or not we should put that down in in this building because nobody liked it. I liked the historical value of it. And I thought maybe, you know, it was a mistake after seeing it because it was so ugly until one day I walked in and there was a gentleman standing with his back towards me looking down the hall. And we had just opened and we had the the museum. So I went up to him and uh, said, uh, excuse me, may I help you? And he turned around and he had tears coming down his, his face. And I was taken back by that. And uh, he said, this is incredible. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he says, what you guys have done? And I said, so did you, did you approve? He said, yeah, I was stationed here and I, I, I definitely approve. And he's, I said, what about this floor? He goes, that's what I'm crying about. And I'm like, oh no, what's what? <laughs> I was like, okay. And uh, he said, you don't know how many hours I have down on my hands and knees scrubbing this floor. He goes, I, I have <laughs> a lot of memories on this floor. Yeah. And right away I knew we made the right decision because he thought it was the original floor of what was here. And that's what we are going for, right. To, sure. to, to bring back those, those types of emotions and, and the feel of the way it was here when it was a Navy station during the war. 
Yeah. So that's, that's hangar one. And, and I'm sure. Oh, the other buildings. Yeah. Well, so, um, yeah. So another historic building, which was here during the Navy base days, but also before it's the hangar two, which is the Curtis Wright building that's still here and, 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 um, and active and in use. We also have the original tin hangar that was floated down the river that the Navy's hangar for their very first plane that they had here in 1925. That's still here. Uh, we have other buildings, what we call them by numbers, buildings 61, 62, 63. Yeah. Those buildings are all here and are being utilized to generate revenue to keep the facility going. The building here to the uh, to the uh, east of where I'm at from Township Hall, which will probably be forever known as the EPA building. Yeah. That building's here and it's kind of a time capsule because in 1969 when the base was decommissioned the epa took over that building and it's been living on government money ever since until about a year ago and yeah uh, you know they had the original floor they had original everything in there and it was beautiful because you know they maintained it so that's uh that building is still here it was just sold to a uh, a private person we don't know yet but that's not part of the township airport property because it was carved out uh, okay. by the EPA when, uh, when the base the... was decommissioned and okay so when the when the township got the facility that wasn't part of it so and then farther down there's some other you know buildings as well that are part of the original facility as a Navy base and the pilot house was part of part of that facility yeah the, yeah the, the, the pilot house was the the, the Navy took it over, but that was here before. That was actually built by the Aircraft Development Corporation as a barracks for the plans that they had for a flight school and, and things. Um, so that became the officer's quarters during the war. Um, yeah, that, that'll be coming up on 100 years old here pretty soon. Yeah, yeah. That, that's, a, uh, that's a wonderful building. And uh, the people that lease that from the, from the township have put a lot of work into um, designing suites and rooms, long stay type facilities or overnight. So people come and, you know, they want to stay there and it gets a lot of bass boats and, and uh, fishing. Yeah. I I think those guys that do that have have a standing uh, reservation for the next 20 years and had it for the previous 20 years. They, uh, when the, I know when the walleye are running, just just by even, them on even the with the <laughs> even with the county bridge closed, they've been going to it. Oh so. yeah, that's uh, come on, they don't care about that. They get you know <laughs> they have boats, right? So yeah, that that's a beautiful facility. What we call the pilot house. So yeah, those are those those are all still here. The tetrahedron, which a lot of people refer to as the pointy thingy out on the airfield, which is. It's either the last one in Michigan or there's one other. And, you know, there's not very many of these. And we ended up uh, about 10 years ago reskinning that. And uh, that's a pretty historic piece of, of aviation equipment. And what that does is it's just a big triangle on, on a pedestal that catches the wind. And it tells the pilot what direction uh, they should land. It's different from a windsock because a windsock tells you what direction the wind's blowing and you you don't land the direction that a windsock is blowing. But the tetrahedron, which is a big triangle, a three-dimensional triangle on a, on a pedestal, that'll, that'll point you in what direction you need to land. And it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Well, and of course, with, with Gross Eagle having the, the triangular runway set up, um, right. gives, gives them more options on, on which runway to land on then. 
Yeah, that's that's right. And uh, you know, during during the years that this was catering to aviation, the the center circle was originally put there for the the dirigible, the ZMC two, right? Right. They, they built a big hangar out there for that, and then they built the circle, and that was the uh, the landing area. And then when the Navy came, they put the runways, you know, making a triangle. So there was actually three runways. East and west, and then basically north and south, and and then uh, 1735, 1,750 degrees. So, and they had the center. They they redid the center circle as well, which was really great to train pilots on how to land on aircraft carriers, right? Because they could come in at any any direction. Sure. So um, you know they landed on that as well. So there, and then uh, eventually the East-West runway became a taxiway during the years of private aviation. And then the center circle, you know, we don't allow people to land on that. <laughs> right. And then, uh, you know, the, the two remaining 0422 and 1735 runways still exist. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we still actually do have blimps that come in every once in a while, right? It's we do. Been a while since I've seen one there, but. Well, you know, it, you know, the the pandemic has changed a lot of gatherings. You know, the blimps would come in because there was something big going on, right? And they would right. they would market to those activities, and it's uh, it's convenient for them, and we have the space to do it. You know, where it's it's aviation, but you know, you can land in the center of the airfield and not disrupt, you know, winged aircraft. So it yeah. works out good for them. Yeah, yeah that's excellent. Yeah, yeah, it's always always interesting to see see that, and not many people would realize that that's sort of a historic use of that space. Right, exactly. Yeah, I well, it, it doesn't uh, it doesn't get away from me because every time I see a blimp, you know, if it's a Sanyo blimp or you know, if we're fortunate enough to have the Goodyear blimp, I immediately rush down to the airport and see it out there on the landing circle of the ZMC two, and I you know I just start daydreaming you know yeah. right and um so yeah it's uh pretty good the uh the foundation of where that uh hangar that built the blimp or the built the dirigible that's still there so it's fun to yeah. kind of get a tour out there and you know stand there where where that was was made so yeah there, there's a lot of scars that still exist if you know where to look <laughs> sure so we, we talked a little bit about some of the businesses that are used or that use the space. So we've got uh, just, just off the top of my head, we've got the alpaca farm. Um, Island fitness has taken over where the, the tennis facility was the airport Inn on the North side of, of grow there. And, you know, and then on the East side of Meridian, you've got what Dave's hot rods and you've got the pilot house. And then, and then the uh, pirates cove, is that the name of the storage facility? Yes, I think. And then of course the, the soccer fields and all that, actually, you showed me a video that, that you uh, narrated a bit of where there was a plan for an innovation park. What, what has become of that? Is that still a, a plan in progress or has it developed otherwise or how, how sure. is that? One of the things that I've always thought in any decision that I made, if I had a vote in it was how to manage this facility in perpetuity and plan accordingly. I believe in planning, and I also believe that there are no unrealistic goals. There are only unrealistic timeframes. <laughs> sure. So I put my ideas for plans out 
and keep going in that direction and keep them in front of any, you know, elected officials come and go and, and, and try to build a consensus and lobby people that are, that are in charge to fall in love and buy into these projects. Luckily, the airport is its own enterprise fund. We have our own P&L here. We don't take any taxpayer money. We have no millage funding to this airport. We, uh, we eat what we sow. And um, our budget is based, uh, it's a uh, balanced budget based upon realistic revenue because we can project our revenue, right? We have uh, 132 leases here in the facility and uh, we know how much revenue we're going to generate. So we always look at increasing revenue, always decrease expenses, but increase revenue. And what can we do to do that? Well, we took inventory and we regularly take inventory of, of our assets, right? Which is our buildings, our land. We look at realistic liability. How much money are we going to need to invest into the buildings to maintain them? These are old buildings, but we always look for future revenue opportunities. So within the last couple of years, we, uh, we've added eight new units, 2000 square foot units, which was part of that original development plan, kind of like mm-hmm condo sites for for industry and uh, we could we quickly filled those up and uh, we have plans now to do two more so that is that that's a, a big revenue bump for us here and also keeping the vision of those those type of campus development ideas the uh, the storage facility pirates cove we have we have land that we never really understood what we could do with it, how we could manage it, right? Uh, those were the old barracks and there's underground steam tunnels and, and things in these, these areas. So when the Pirates Cove company came to us and wanted to do something with uh, some further expansion of storage, we were able to put together a workable deal for the township, the airport certainly, and Pirates Cove. So uh, that land, that stretch of land that is being uh, developed now has all been remediated. All the steam tunnels are all been removed. It's clean land now. And there's going to be a beautiful development right on Grow Road. There's going to be a, an office complex there on Grow Road, which will fit into the community and fit into the airport very nicely. So, you know, that, that is a big, big development, 20-year development. It's going to bring in a lot of revenue to the airport and be a, a good neighbor. It's we look at everything as a good neighbor. There's other there's other plans. There's always something going on. Sure, um, you know. But again, we we have a little bit of a disadvantage. We can't sell any of our property. We made sure of that when we sign documents with the FAA to give us millions of dollars to uh, redo runways and taxiways. And so they, sure. they kind of, sure. they, uh, they say, okay, we'll give you the money, but you're not going to abandon this as an airport. And you're not going to just sell off all the land and, you know, decide to do what uh, Daly did in Chicago all those years ago. Um, yeah. So, well, um, and this certainly isn't the only airport that's bound by that. So. No, no. Well, you know, how do you, you know, unless you're a Metro a major international airport, how do you, you know, fund new runways that are literally five, six, ten million dollars, depending on on the, on the process of, or, right. or the scope of the work. So, and and we're okay with that. Our leases here, all the all the buildings that we've had people build, we put together a land lease 
they build their building. And then after a term of 20 years or 25 years, then that building belongs to the township. And they have an option of renewing the lease as well at that point. But we make sure that all the buildings that somebody build here, uh, builds here ultimately becomes the ownership of, of the township. And, and they're fine with it. You know, they, if you can get a 25-year lease, you know, you can, you can put together a business plan to do that. Yeah. But there's other, there's, I've always wanted to have residential down here. I think it would be a great place for unique residential, maybe some brownstones. So these things are always in, in talk. Sure. Um, but I'm probably the most aggressive on the commission when it comes to investment, which is, which is great why we have a commission where we all make these decisions and not one person goes sure. off crazy. But so we, we rely on investment, right? So I'd be willing to take our money and invest and do a, do a development ourselves. But, <laughs> you know, there's wiser people than me to say, no, John, we're just slow down. We, we, we're not going to do that. You know, we, uh, you know, let's try to find an investor sure. and we make it investment friendly for people that uh, have good ideas of development. I have friends who who want to uh, come up here for breakfast someday. So uh, some some friends that fly out of Dayton, and, and you know we get so many people that fly transit pilots that come in. It's such a beautiful area to fly into. You know, you, I'm sure a lot of people that have flown out of Metro they fly over Grozeal. They you know you see the whole island. You see the prominent uh, airfield on the yeah. south end, and and as a private pilot, and these Cessnas are you know smaller planes. It is, uh, it's a treat. It's, you know, it's scary, you know, for, for <laughs> I, I've talked to pilots going, nah, I'm not flying there. It's too much water around. There's too much this and too much that, but yeah. And it's, it's a non-controlled airfield. We don't have uh, a tower, right? but we do get a lot of pilots that, that come in and, you know, they fly and they land here and we sell them fuel. We just, we just need, uh, to better service their, uh, hamburger needs or their pancake needs. But, That's right. Uh, yeah, it's it's a great place for for aviators, uh, private aviators that love to go fly. That's right. Well, maybe somebody somebody in the community has an idea and and has the 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 gumption to go do something. Right. Add yeah. another business so, to down down there. Yeah, I, I don't know how many people are real excited about getting into the restaurant business right now, but uh, <laughs> you know, or you know, maybe this is the best time to get into it. I I don't know. Well, my perspective on it is having owned several businesses, this is probably the best time to start a business because you, you won't feel so bad if it doesn't succeed. Exactly. You have an excuse, right? That's right. Uh, That's I'm sure absolutely. we're going to use COVID as an excuse for many, many years. You know, so. Yeah. Well, and justifiably. Well, at the end of every episode, um, as you know, I ask uh, about a wish. Is there a wish you'd like to share with the island or with, uh, yeah. with folks okay. that are yeah. listening? <laughs> Yeah, that's that's uh, that's interesting because there's so many, right? Um, yeah, and uh, especially nowadays with our health, I mean, uh, you know, just in general, you know, it's it's good to wish everyone good health. But I think with Grozeal looking, I guess looking at us as a community, I would wish that Grozeal never loses loses its uniqueness, its charm, what makes us different from from any other community downriver. And what makes that, right? To understand what makes that. And uh, as much as we don't like the bridges, the bridges make that. Um, <laughs> they do. You know, our, our trees, our open space, 
our quirky things, you know, the, the downtown, you know, there's so many different things. Our history, which is so different than the mainland. Detroit in general has a rich history, but our history goes back to Potawatomi Indians and the McComb brothers and the, the you know, the, the French and, you know, all this stuff is, is alive. And, uh, you know, the Debussy, the, the Westcroft Garden family goes back to, you know, the McComb brothers and, you know, we have so many families here that are what I call legacy families that that are so important to to that. But my wish is is that people come here and and understand that and learn it, right? And know that they don't live on the mainland anymore. You know, the bridges <laughs> will swing, the bridges will close, the bridges will will make us late. Yeah. You know, but the bridges are the barrier between insanity and calmness you know when you cross over that bridge and you're on the island you know you're home right we can never lose that we can that's my wish i wish we'd never lose that <laughs> well thank, thanks for joining me john um <laughs> and I want, thanks you know i appreciate you and and i'm sure that you know our community benefits from the stories and the information that you share about about the airport in particular and and so much more and we'll get i'm sure we're this is just the beginning of our conversations here yeah, it's, it's, and there's so many people that that understand it and know it and like to talk about it, and it's important. People like you go get those stories, and I, I appreciate what you do, and I, I love your podcast. And you know, just listening to you on you know on what's going on around Grozeal, it's incredible, and I think it's a never-ending source of material. So, well, and that's that's exactly it. it it's uh, people ask me how how I'll possibly get. Uh, more than just a handful of episodes about the island, and uh, <laughs> we're this will be twenty eight episodes so far. Wow. Okay. And, good. Uh, yeah. And you know, maybe even more. But it it's going to you know I I don't see an end to it anytime soon. So no. And as long as it stays fun for you, it's important for us, and uh, we need to get the word out and get that mainstream. I think it should be required listening to any new <laughs> resident of Crozeal. Well, I appreciate yeah. that. And, and, you know, I was, I was thinking about the way that, that, uh, that I ended up, uh, that I met you was, was with the, uh, the steam tunnels right, and all mm -hmm. that. And, and I was thinking that, that one of the things that you're helping do is to actually reveal stuff that's hidden just slightly underground, just right. like those steam right. tunnels. So, uh, we it's can't bury our head in the sand, right? I mean, I, right. I told you I'm an environmentalist, right? And, uh, you know, we, we need to make sure that we understand what needs to be addressed, keep things safe, and develop positively for our environment and our health and our people. So, And, uh, and, and it's, it's certainly important. A, an important part to keep that in focus uh, right now for our community with, uh, with the steel mill and with, with uh, the... Uh, some of the reclaiming in Gibraltar Bay and the, the rise of the, the gateway, um, the refuge gateway over across the river. It's becoming right. all the more important. So. Exactly. So we can control what we can control because that could help, but there's a lot of things that we can't control in our environment that, you know, unfortunately, Brazil is subjected to. Um, yeah, that's for sure. And, but you know what? We can get people to go tackle those as well which i think we do so yeah and and i think uh i think we've got a bright future ahead of us for this i do too yeah thank you so much thank you ben i want to thank john again for sharing about the airport it's been such a large part of how and why Grosseal is what it is today and is likely the key to what will be in another 100 years 
Since you are enjoying the podcast, I hope you've subscribed. You can find links in the episode notes or on the website, whatsthedealgi.com. Facebook has also given us a new way to listen on our Facebook page. Just look for WTDGI. All those places offer ways to share the show with your friends, family, and neighbors. What's the Deal Grossiel is a production of Fote Media Productions and is edited and engineered by me, Ben Fote. Thank you for listening to What's the Deal, Grossiel?